This is a post-Christian podcast. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Revolution. Um, hello, Facebook Live again, our second Facebook Live. We've got our friend Angel gave us a, uh, a love, lovely, uh, what do they call these things? Tripod. So now we have a tripod so I can look into your eyes and, um, you know, feel self-conscious about myself being on camera again because I haven't sat in front of a camera in a long time. But that's okay. It just makes me feel better. I'll just work through it. Um, I'm going to have to get a makeup artist and do makeup before service. Um, well, we are going through Galatians right now. Um, we are in Galatians 2, so turn your pages to Galatians 2, or your phones, or your computers. Um, I was really tempted today to maybe do a different talk, and I might wind some of that into this. So I was thinking today about doing a talk about dealing with social media, um, because this past week, my dad said something about Donald Trump, and Twitter went crazy. And my dad was trending, and my mom was trending. And I didn't look up. I didn't hit on the trending things, only because um, some people already told me that people are saying nice, nasty things about my mom, and I can't stand that. And I, I mean, I grew up with that, you know. I mean, I grew up going as a kid going to the mall and seeing people wearing t-shirts that said I ran into Tammy Faye in the mall with this makeup splat on the front and she thought they were hilarious on the sign them but when you're a kid it's kind of hard to decipher those things what's good and what's bad but it, it was interesting because a lot of this stuff started with this, this group called Christian Right Watch and so um, it's, it's, a, it's a weird a really weird road to walk down when you have the experience of having your family say something that you don't maybe not necessarily agree with. I don't watch, honestly, I don't watch my dad's show. I've never seen it. Um, I've been on it years ago. Uh, Our staff used to take retreats up there. Um, But I haven't ever watched the show um, or watched clips of the show. Um, So it was weird. You know, it's just weird. And it was weird that colleagues of mine were posting this thing, you know. And you kind of go like, ah, you know. And, you know, they're like, well, you know, you're a public, you know, you're a public person and you have to accept that. And your dad's a public person and you have, you know, all that stuff. And like, okay, I get it. You know, I accept it. Um, But it's not, it still doesn't make it easy. You know, and then you see people making just really mean comments, you know, and, and, and being like, you know, and then some other progressive person put together a video, a bunch of clips of different evangelicals saying, I guess, positive things about Trump and then put in a clip of my dad. And from what I understand, the clip was actually taking him out of context with one of my buddies called me and was like, why did they use that clip? Because they probably could have gotten a clip of your dad saying something positive about Trump, but they used a clip that wasn't even in context. And I, so I contacted the person who made it and said, hey, you know, I'm sure you could find a clip in context. 
only because if we're going to be, if we're going to, to bring things forward and we're going to, to be socially conscious, if we're, we're progressives or socially conscious, maybe we should use things that are right. And it's lazy. And I think there's a lot of laziness and how we argue with each other. Honestly, I think social media is often a very lazy way to make political points um, because I think there's... I'm going to get on the soapbox. I'm going to try not to do this, and I'm going to try to get into Galatians really fast. But I think if we look like at Nelson Mandela or Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. and people like that, you saw people who... who those are my heroes, and those are the guys that went to the politicians... Some of them became politicians, but they went to the politicians and had conversations, and they made differences, and they made changes. I don't know what they would be like if they would have had social media, but they made a difference through having hard conversations. And I think some of the people online were like, you know, you need to denounce your father, and you need to denounce what he says, and you need to do this, you know, and like, I have to earn my liberal badge or something. And I was like, you know, in my mind, I'm going like, you guys... I don't talk to my dad that very often, but when I do, we talk about this stuff. And I'd rather much rather sit down with him and have a conversation with him than write some stupid tweet that causes us to never talk again. You know? And love is a complicated thing. You know? I mean, people talk about love in the Bible, and loving other people doesn't mean you necessarily agree with them. Um, that's why it says love doesn't demand its own way in Corinthians 13. It's, it's saying, you know, sometimes you have to sit down and have hard conversations and, and relationships are tough. I mean, every form of love and relationships are tough. So that's, that's a, um, a tough road to haul. Um, but maybe I think it's something better for me to write about and, uh, than tweet about. So that's what I'm going to try to do is write about it and, and see if we can learn to empathize with others, um, even when they don't agree with us. Because I'm afraid that we're going to just start scapegoating others. And it's really easy to do that. And I think it, to sum everybody up and say, well, this person voted this way, so they must be this way, I think is dangerous and very judgmental. And it's, it's, not, it's not really thinking. We should think better. We should argue better. We should sit down and talk with one another. Um, not everybody can do that and I get that, but, um, I think that's where real change comes from. At least that's what I've learned from my studies of nonviolence and in my own personal relationships. So take that for what it's worth and, um, you know, we'll, we'll do it. All right. Oh, what are we going to do? Be a human being today. Galatians. So here we are in Galatians again with the Apostle Paul. And Paul has written this letter to his church in Galatians because they are, or the Gauls, um, because they are returning to the law, because they are leaving grace, um, because they are being pressured to not, to be circumcised. They're being pressured to do certain things that are, that are, religious tradition um i saw a, a tweet the other day, or an instagram it said tradition is peer pressure from dead people um <laughs> i thought that was pretty cool um you know so it's it's paul is is confronting 
these folks because he went there and he started a church and he felt like they grasped the ideas of grace and the concept. And so he's kind of laying out a case for himself of saying like, you know, remember me, I'm good enough. I'm an apostle too, you know, because the people are saying he's not a real apostle. So he's kind of like defending himself. And it's really strange to have one of the greatest books on grace be a total letter of rebuke at the same time. So, but that's, that's a contradiction of life. That's a contradiction that Hegel talks about and, and, and seeing who you really are. And I love that, you know, I, I love the fact that we just are so full of contradictions and that it's very clear in the Bible and you can grasp humanity here. And today we're going to be looking at a lot of humanity in Galatians. So, um, let's start in Galatians two. It says, uh, here Paul is still laying out his case for being, you know, a real apostle. He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking along Titus along with me. I went up in response to his revelation. Then I laid before them, though only a private meeting with them to acknowledge leaders. (laughs) I like how he puts that in there. The gospel that I proclaim amongst the Gentiles. So he wanted to go to the leaders and say, this is what I'm talking about. I'm reaching out to the Gentiles. Um, which was not seen as acceptable because Christianity was starting to be looked at as a form of Judaism, and Gentiles were not welcome. And Paul, who is like the Pharisee of Pharisees and the total, you know, probably one of the most Jewish out of them, is is coming in and going, "No, we're going to reach Gentiles. We're going to go. We're going to go global," and. Um, it says, in order to make sure that I was running or I had run, not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled to be circumcised, though he was Greek. But because of the false believers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus, so they might enslave us, so we did not submit to them even for a moment. So the truth with the gospel might always remain with you. And this is interesting because basically what he's saying is someone came into where we were bathing or changing or something to spy on to see if Titus was circumcised or not. Interesting. Um, Christians have kind of... It's funny, you know, it made me think about when, um, when Jimmy Swaggart had his fall... Um, the reason he got caught doing what he was doing was was because another preacher who didn't like him hired a private investigator to follow around and take pictures to see what he was up to. So isn't that fun? Christianity at its best. Um, and, but you see that it's not, it's nothing new under the sun. I mean, they've been doing this forever. You know, it's like, let's go spy on Paul and his, his, his friends. And then we'll bring this up to, Peter and James and John and all those guys and see what they say when we go like, oh, but one of his guys isn't circumcised, you know. Um, But what I love that Paul says here is he's like, I wasn't going to be, we weren't going to be made slaves. They can't enslave us into religion. And I think a good litmus test in religion is, um, I, I we should probably get a computer in here so we can see when the Facebook drops or not. Um, but I think a good idea of, 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 of 
getting away from religion, uh, a bad seeing toxic religion is when it makes you feel like you're a slave. You know, when you feel like you're having to do things that are beyond your nature, when it is forcing you to do things like that. Now, I believe growth is important in faith. And over time, we learn to love and we learn to love even more and, um, we, and love even more radically. And we grow in that. You know, loving your enemy is not easy. Um, it's just, it's the toughest thing I've ever done is loving my enemies. Um, I think maybe what's a little bit tougher is loving other people's enemies because then you kind of slowly become enemies to them. Um, I mean, Mac, it's hard enough for me just to love my own father in the public without people telling me, no, you know, or, or, or putting a big asterisk by the love and trying to explain to me what, you know, what, what, what I can say and what I can't say. I mean, that's what I love about punk rock because it's like, piss off, you know? I'll say what I want to say and, you know, I'll, I'm glad to listen to what you have to say, but, you know, I've got punk rock life. <laughs> so I'm not necessarily going to listen. I'm going to live my best life. And hey, guess what? You don't have to listen and you don't have to buy the books and you don't have to do those things, you know? I'm always intrigued by people because they get so mad and I'm like, well, just turn it off, man. You know? I mean, the fact that people use that we use people like Franklin Graham and, and, and Jerry Falwell Jr., my dad, and other folks like that as examples, I'm like, I feel like they're kind of preaching to the choir, and I kind of feel like when we're using those extreme examples, we're preaching to the choir. You know, it's like, that's not, you know, I think there might be other people who are a little bit more threatening than the obvious, you know, I don't know. See, I'm see, I'm going back to the other sermon that I wanted to preach because I'm a preacher and that's what we do. We just preach what we want to preach even though we're doing a Bible study. Sorry, guys. We're going to get back to Galatians. Um, so he says, even for a moment, we weren't going to let them enslave us so that the truth of the gospel might always remain with you. So he was like, we are going to make our freedom known. We're not going to let this bother us and we don't want the gospel to be you know, uh, polluted. You know, we don't want it to be polluted by the law. We don't want it to be polluted by that. We are taking these traditions and saying they were good for a time, but they don't exist anymore because we're under grace. We're not under law. We don't have to do these things anymore. And unfortunately, the church wants to rebuild these old laws or these ideas, and maybe not even Judaism law, laws from Judaism, but laws that we create. Like, you have to vote this way. You have to act this way. You can't listen to this type of music. You know, you have to do this certain type of thing. Um, or you're not really a Christian. You know, grace always really confuses everybody because grace says you are accepted. I mean, Paul Tillich's talk on acceptance is brilliant, and I highly recommend it. It's in a book called Shaking the Foundations. Um, but there's no requirement in that to believe more or to do more. or to do, You know, and that's why I think we fear grace so much is because you know, they were didn't want they didn't like this because they wanted to control this guy and have him circumcised so he would be one of them and look like one of them. You know, we do the same things as where we like we want people to look like us and kind of think like us and vote like us and have the same the same um, belief system or that's not even what I'm looking for is convictions. You know, everybody share our convictions. 
And that's just not how humanity works. That's not how life works because we were all grown up in different situations, different backgrounds, believing different things for different reasons. You know, and that's why it's interesting, like, why we should communicate more is because when we communicate with one another, we learn about each other's lives. We hear each other's life stories, and we grow from that. That's why books are so interesting is because you're reading from people with different perspectives than yours, and you can grow from that. Um, Mark Maron used to say that every book becomes a self-help book, and I feel that way sometimes. Even, like, when I read books, like, I'm like, I know I disagree with this person, but I'm like, when I'm in it, I'm like, hmm, maybe. Oh, I can get why they think this, you know, based on what they've decided to believe or their theology that they've subscribed to and have a little bit more empathy, but also look and be like, oh, well, this is how I talk to somebody who thinks that way. You know, always looking at different angles where we communicate with people. Um, and this is one of my favorite parts in Galatians is it goes, okay, um, in six, he goes, and now those who are supposed to be acknowledged leaders, because he's talking about those who are trying to expose them, he goes, what they actually were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Now it's in italics because, you know, he's just putting that in there, but I like the idea that it says God shows no partiality. And I really like this when I was fighting against legalism and like, you know, this idea of this, the, the religion, you know, conservative Christianity when I was younger, because I was like, see, God has no favorites. There is no special man of God. You know, and I really liked this. And I'm like, and even Paul said that, you know, and now I find it like I'm having to say it to my progressive brothers and sisters as well. You know, like there is no super chosen one, you know, God has no favorites, you know, because we want to like, just be like, we kind of focus on, oh no, this guy's really got it. And this one doesn't quite have it. And you know, who's God's favorite? God doesn't, God doesn't show partiality. And I think that's really interesting um, when you've been raised to think that way. Um, these leaders contributed nothing to me. Paul really goes hard here. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter, making him an apostle to the circumcised, also worked through me in sending me to the Gentiles. So once again, we see Paul, the apostle, is laying out his whole, you know, his defense again. He's like, hey, just as much as Peter is an apostle to the Jews... I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. You know, he's, he's defending himself. Um, I mean, pure humanity there. Then he goes on to say, and when James, when James and Cephas and John, who are acknowledged pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, which I guess maybe a handshake or something, or a secret handshake agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and the end to the circumcised. They asked so to reach Gentiles and the circumcised, so both, both, both forms of, of, of the faith. Then he asked only one thing, that we remember the poor, which I was actually what I was very eager to do. So the poor, I once again, it's like, don't forget about the poor. You know, these religious sects, and stuff that you're dealing with and arguing with are important, but don't forget what's really important. Don't forget the poor. Don't forget to help those in need, you know? And I think a lot of us are driven to that by that very concept of reaching the poor. Um, but sometimes to the point where we 
get the religious politics back in it again. So it's like this really vicious cycle where we're constantly battling our human nature to like, you know, because we want these rules and we want these regulations. I mean, this is why the people were bringing back in Judaism because it's comfortable. Legalism is comfortable because it tells you what to do. You know, I like, I, like, I have a lot of doubt in my life and my belief system. And, you know, there are times where I miss certainty. You know, like, I know that I know that I know, you know, God said it, the Bible put it, you know, and so it's true, you know, and I, and I, I, I miss certainty, you know. I mean, there's a reason people are addicted to certainty. You know, they have this compulsion to be like, I, you know, I know, you know, and, and why people write books on apologetics and things like that, because it makes us feel secure. And security is a nice feeling to have, you know, safety and secure. But, you know, that also makes us often closed the other. And that's what I, I, I hope we're not closed to the other. Um, this is where it gets really cool. This is the best part of Galatians, I think. Or the most, you get to see the humanity of all the apostles here. And Paul really lays down his argument right here in, 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 in 11 uh, to 14. He says, but when Cephas, talking about Peter, came to Anatoch, I posed him to his face because he stood in self, he stood self-condemned. Now, Paul's really been hitting on this self-condemned thing. He's like, curse is anyone who preaches a different message. He's talking about a self-curse. He's also saying he's condemning, they're condemning themselves through these actions. Um, for until certain people came from James, so he uses James's group. I wrote about this in my, one of my books, my last book, I think it was. Um, came from James. He used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back to, back out of fear and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. That's going to be the name of my next punk band, the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that even Barnabas, who is his you know, buddy, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you through a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he's showing us like, like even when Peter made this mistake, even when Peter, you know, the, 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 the rock of the church went back to the law, I had to correct him. Because this is how important grace is. He's also showing that he's like an apostle. He's like, see, I corrected Peter, so I'm an apostle. You know what I mean? He's showing his, you know, who he really is and showing that he's got his, his shit together and that he's important too. We get it, Paul. You know, you're important. Um, but this idea that James's folks, and this seems to be a, an interesting thing that he goes through the New Testament, is that James and Paul seem to kind of not see eye to eye on Christianity. You know, like Paul's like, some of these people who are putting your mind and twisting it with these messages of, you know, you could do whatever you want, you know, and then Paul, you know, did you see Paul kind of dealing with it? So you see that there was always an uncomfortable question about what the faith really was. And these guys are trying to figure it out. And people always disagreed. You know, they always weren't sure. They always argued theology. Arguing theology is a great tradition of our faith, especially in the Jewish tradition. 
And they argued well. They didn't say like, you know, Paul shouldn't be a, an apostle or he wasn't like, you know, James should just be done and we should get rid of James because he's Jesus' brother and he thinks he's all that. Let's just, you know, fire him or like have him stoned or whatever. No, he didn't do any of that. He's just saying, I had to disagree because, you know, James's folks is having a bad influence on people. He's scaring people and intimidating them. You know, he's intimidating Peter. He's intimidating Barnabas, my first person with me. And you could read this in all sorts of different ways if you really wanted to think about it. Um, let's, let's have fun with this for a second, or try to have fun with it. Um, so, but Cephas came to Anatoch and opposed him to his face because he stood, in, in self, he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James's, he used to eat with the Republicans. But after that, he came and drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the progressives. And the others, conservatives, joined him in this hypocrisy. So then even Barnabas led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw this, they were not acting (laughs) consistently with the truth of the gospel. I said, Cephas, before them all, if you thought you live like the liberal or whatever, or or a conservative, live like that. You know, don't compel these people to have to be this other thing. Now, I know that's ridiculous and a little far-fetched because I could reverse it around, too, and say, you know, he sat with the liberals. You know, you could use this on either side because we're so divided as a church right now. We're so divided as a country right now. Um, and, and this idea of dualistic thinking has actually got me kind of creeped out that we have to just be like, I'm this or I'm that. You know, it's like, uh, maybe I'm neither one of those things, you know. And, and I think what Paul is saying with grace and the idea of grace is that you can just be, you know, you don't have to separate. You can be with the Jewish Christians, you can be with the Gentile Christians, and you guys can live together. Now, my only thing is, is if you're doing these traditions to be saved, you're missing the point. There's nothing wrong with these traditions. There's nothing wrong of thinking this way, but it's when your thinking is cast onto other people saying that they have to do it in order to be real believers, that's when I have an issue. When, you have, when it has to be gospel. But he's saying we can live in community together. There's no reason, even if you want to continue to have circumcision in your faith and in your life, but there's no reason to compel the Gentiles to do it. It's pretty interesting that he's saying, you know, there's going to be diversity in our community. But real diversity and people are afraid of real diversity. You know, we want like, oh, cool, hippie kind of diversity, but we just like when someone comes in and harshes our mellow, we want them out. You know, we, we fear diversity. You know, or we fear inclusion. No one is truly inclusive. You know, I mean, not no one. I'm sure there are really inclusive people out there. But we fear, you know, we want, oh, we want to be inclusive of these people and these people and these people and these people. Um, but Jay, I'm sorry, don't bring your dad. And if you're going to have a picture of your dad, you know, with you, you know, could you just at least explain that you don't agree with him and make that clear? I'm like, well, have you ever heard any of my sermons and heard any of his sermons? I mean, I mean, are you familiar with my work at all? You know, am I denouncing this for strangers who haven't heard my work or just heard his work or just, well, I don't know what I'm doing here anymore, you know? So inclusion means sitting down with your enemies and sharing meals and talking to them. Now, I also agree with uh, Tupac who said, you know, just because I don't like you or you're my enemy um, doesn't mean I hate you and doesn't want you to eat. just doesn't mean I want to sit at the same table with you. So I get that, you know. We don't have to be like Jesus right away. Maybe be like Tupac first, 
you know? And then see if we can be more Jesus-y later down the road. You know, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that it's interesting. And, and I love the fact that Paul confronts Peter, and it seems that this worked out. It's, it's interesting. Okay, so that was my favorite part of, of one of my favorite parts of Galatians. Not my very favorite part, but I'm going to say that a lot when we go through this. Like, oh, here's my favorite part. <laughs> so I'm just going to say this is one of my favorite parts. Um, let's go on and, and share a little bit more, and I'll try to make this quick. We ourselves are Jew by birth and not Gentile sinners. Well, thanks, Paul. That was a little harsh. Um, yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ. So this is, this is you know, a lot of people's very traditional understanding of Christianity. My Christianity is the way I feel about Christ and Jesus is a little bit different, but uh, I'll talk about that later. Um, but he says, okay, so in Christ Jesus, so that we might be justified in faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law. Because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if our efforts to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is it Christ the servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very thing that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. And what is Paul saying is if I build up the old system, if I go back to the law, and I think now one of the things we have to deal with in, in Christianity is, 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 is we've been having to deal with for hundreds of years, if not thousands, is that we create new laws. You know, we build new laws, we create old laws, and we, 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 we make these litmus tests, litmus, litmit, what is it? litmus tests that say who's in and who's out. And all that it is law. That is new law. That is what the law was there to separate us from each other. And you'll see as we get further into Galatians that there is no separation in Paul's mind anymore. It's very radical grace. It's very radical inclusion. Um, you know, I think Paul's still really into atonement theory because of his understanding of how that works, but I think it has a lot to do with tradition and, and, and stuff, and I think we'll get back, get into that a little bit more in the next couple weeks. Um, but I just want to focus on this. So he's saying, don't rebuild the old system. That's when I find out that I've messed up. Don't recreate new systems. Don't be guardians at the gate. And everybody has these guardians at the gate. You know, I left conservative evangelicalism because I felt like everybody was grace monitors, you know, who gets grace or hall monitors, you know what I mean? And like, it was like the special club that you had to believe certain things and do certain things in order to be included in. And if you didn't live up to their standards, you were done. I mean, when I watched my parents, I watched my parents do all this good stuff. Evangelicals loved my parents. It seemed like everybody wanted to be on the couch to be interviewed by my parents. And then everybody found out they weren't perfect and their ministry fell apart. Everything fell apart. And then I just watched people scatter and go away. You know, I didn't see grace there. I saw something that says, oh, you're only going to be good for us if you're perfect or at least have the illusion that you're perfect and we don't know that you're not. Because if you're really human, you know that everybody has questions and suffers and things like that. I mean, not everybody knows that, but you, you do learn that over time as you live is that humans are, are really human. 
I once had someone explain to me as being me as being very haphazardly human. And I didn't know what to think when I first heard that. And now I take it as a huge compliment. Um, but yeah, so they saw humanity. They saw sin. They saw this and said, you're not welcome here. So you're, you're done. We're done with you. And we're going to preach against you and make jokes about you. And, and the mainliners already didn't agree with my family. So they did that, you know. And it's funny because I've met hundreds of pastors like, oh, we cared about you. You know, why didn't your parents do this? Or why didn't your parents do that? You know, why is your dad this way? You know, and I'm speaking from personal experience today. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. You just took that off or you can walk out the door. Um, Part of me was like, you know, he had five years, especially with pastors. I'm like, you could visit my dad because you're a pastor no matter if you want, whenever you wanted to. He was in, in, in Rochester, Minnesota in a prison. You could have come out and gave him a visit and talked to him. And, you know, I said to somebody the other day, I'm like, you know, I always kind of hoped secretly that the, my, my mainline denomination friends would just swoop in when my dad got out of prison and just kind of embrace him, you know. But nobody really embraced him when he got out of prison, and he just kind of lived his life. He actually was very liberal when he got out of prison. It was a, it was a shock to some people. But what happened was is the people that he used to know started to bring him back in, slowly but surely. You know, it is what it is. I don't know. I've got no real concern at this point. I, I'm just going to live my life the best I can. But the idea is, is that we rebuild these laws, we rebuild these systems, and that's when we become transgressors is when we put on these who is welcomed into the kingdom of God and who is not. I think that's one of the reasons I have a big issue when I see people writing articles or things like this of being saying, you know, you can't be a real Christian unless... A, B, C. Or you can't be a real Christian and support A, B, C. You know? Because I'm like, well, is that... That's not even theologically sound. You know, I mean, Roman, all sin, all fall short, all fall, God's gracious kindness. You know? And it says we'll be known for our love for one another, but that includes our enemies. So really it's like, well, then should I say that people who don't really love their enemies or love others' enemies, they're not really... You know, I just don't feel like it's up to us to say who's in and who's out. Honestly, I don't really think it's ultimately about that, but that's what we're dealing with here in the book of Galatians. 19 says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ... So Paul is literally saying, I died with Christ. I shared that moment of suffering. I shared that moment of abandonment. And really focusing on on understanding the idea of crucified with Christ has really helped me, especially after reading reading my buddy Pete's book about the idea that God, Jesus felt abandoned by God. You know, because I felt that so many times and I've used that for reasons to be like, I don't believe in this shit anymore. I'm done. I don't know what to do. You know, but then I've realized so many times that it was like, even Jesus felt abandoned. You know, that helps me out a little bit. And, and my, my, to relate to someone like Jesus. And it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, I who loved me and gave himself for me. And then this is really pretty cool part. Get ready. Hold on, everybody. Um, for the justification comes through, oh no, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So in Paul's mind was, if we go through all these rules and regulations, then there is no need for Jesus to die. 
because he believes that because of Jesus' death, we had grace. I believe Jesus came to show us that we've always had grace and that we just never really grasped it, is my theology. But Paul is saying, because Paul's a firm believer in atonement theory, is that if you, you know, if we rebuild the law, when we try to do things, when we put these expectations on, there's no need for Jesus anymore. You know, there's no need for the Sermon on the Mount. You know, there's no need for loving your enemy or loving your neighbor or doing all those, all those stories, everything that Jesus did, that's just, there's no point in it if we're going to rebuild the law, if we're going to create new laws, if we're going to say that you have to be A, B, or C in order to fit in. And I've seen this my whole life growing up. And it, and it, 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 and it breaks my heart a little bit that I'm starting to see it out of the liberal side and the progressive side because that was something that I, that was a group that I always felt was, I thought was much safer to be honest with you. And now I'm starting to realize it's not as safe. I'm rethinking where I stand in my life because of that, because I'm like, I I don't know if this is something that I can, you know, hitch on to anymore. I feel like if I want to remain inclusive, I can't just be on this side and exclude those people as they did to me years ago. I just don't think exclusion is the way to go. I don't think new rules and regulations that look more like me are the way to go and making feel people like they're guilty or not included because of because they don't live up to my expectations i'm just returning the favor that happened to me when i was a kid i'm just creating a new form of legalism and i don't want to be in that so i don't want to rebuild the law i don't want to build a new law i like we've got a law and this time it's law 2.0 and it is so much better and it is so cool you know <laughs> You can you can drink and hang out. And our law is really cool. You just can't be a bummer, man. You know, I don't know. That's my impersonation of the guy, of some guy. I don't know who. But I don't know. I, I just hope we can think this through and think about how we look at inclusion, if we truly want to be inclusive or if we just really want to be legalistic in a different sense. You know? And who is our other? Who is the other in your life? If you spend your life working with the poor and helping the poor, I will tell you this. They are no longer the others. Someone else becomes your other. So who is the other? Often the other is those that you don't want to be around. And what uh, someone said, if, if your enemies look like, you know, the thing I have a problem with Christians is that, like, often their enemies are, you know, their enemies look a lot like God's enemies, you know? And so it's like, you know, they, we, you know, we just decide like where we're at in our life. Like, oh, okay, I'm here. So now God doesn't like these people. You know, that's a new law. That's just, you know, we're falling into something. I think the idea and the journey of Christianity is saying we go beyond that. We build above that. We go into this complete inclusion where we really do love people, where we really do have the tough conversations, where we do walk through life together. And we recognize each other's humanity and brokenness, that we all fall short. Not that some of us do, but that we all do. And so I think reason Paul's saying this is like, just don't, don't get a, don't, he is saying this. He's like, don't create a law that excludes the Gentiles. You know, don't exclude these folks. And if someone comes in and saying they exclude these folks, I'm not going to listen to them. If you want to exclude the Gentiles, I'm not going to tolerate the exclusion of Gentiles. 
But then when we get into it further, he's going to say there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor male nor female. I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but he's going to go in and say that, that there's no status. There's no, no one special. He just said that about Peter just a second ago and said, you know, God shows no, has no favorites. Nobody's special. Nobody's particular. Nobody's chosen. You know, empathy is a really hard thing. Reading the scriptures are really tough. Um, it's really challenged me a lot because I, I would have preferred to stay in, in my camp and be comfortable. But now it's pulling me out of my own safe space. Well, only because I realized it's not as safe as I thought it was. It's not as inclusive as I thought it was. You know, it looks really great and it looks like wokeness. But in some ways, now I have all these others now. You know, now I have a harder time. I, I can't forgive my enemies. I can't sit at the table with them anymore. You know, you know, when, when, uh, uh, when Ellen DeGeneres sat next to George Bush, everybody lost their mind. She wasn't sitting down next to him going like, I agree with everything you did. She was at a party where he was at, she was at, she sat down and, and, and shared a talk and they he probably said something funny because she's Ellen and he laughed and people lost their minds. You say, well, Jay, he killed thousands of people. I'm like, well, any president has killed thousands of people. Even Obama, even Clinton, you know, they've, you know, killed thousands of people. That's what happens with presidents. That's why I can't put my faith in a president. You know, that's why politicians aren't, the people I choose to model my life after. I think we need politicians, but I'm just saying those aren't the folks. You know, I follow the folks like Martin Luther King who challenged the politicians and made differences and changed a lot of those circumstances through having tough conversations, through putting their lives on the line, and through being very tolerant of their enemies. I like that. That's what I want out of my life. That's, that's, that's what I desire to, to follow. So... Um, yeah, I think this book, I think as we go through Galatians, we're going to realize that there's a lot of inclusion and it's a very uncomfortable book and it, and it, and it leads us to not always be comfortable. And I think any faith that either tells you that you're going to be whole or complete or comfortable is just a lie. If you read any philosophy, you'll realize you're never whole or complete or comfortable. You know, I mean, there's, we have moments and I love those moments, you know, but life is, is, is a complicated journey. And, uh, you know, through my own mental health, I've realized that I have to accept some of those things. Life is complicated. And, you know, people always say, Jesus is the answer. Like, might be the answer, but I, there's still a lot of questions <laughs> that Jesus doesn't answer and that Paul doesn't answer and that the Bible doesn't answer and that my faith doesn't answer, you know. So... Good luck with all that, folks. Um, <laughs> hope you enjoyed that. We're going to do a real... This is the part of the service where we do... Um, we let people do feedback. I'm going to read... I'm going to try to read through here and see if you guys have any feedback. And... Oh, you took notes on the questions? Yeah. Oh. Oh, Caleb, always ahead of the game. <laughs> yes, all right. Well, Caleb's got the questions written down, so I won't, I'm not going to read your questions. Yeah. Um... I mean, I'm except for the one that says, damn, such a good word, the whole sermon. I mean, yeah, I'll read that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Greg 
my dad, hey. said to die to the law, to quit expecting yourself or your pastor to be perfect, to be human together. Yes, thank you. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Pam said the, the other seems to be changing throughout my life. I think that's a really good point. That It sounds to me that she's kind of expressing that... Um, you don't you don't reach a point where you've uh, perfected it. It's why Christianity and religion in general is a practice, is because it is never completed. It's never uh, accomplished. It's you know there's there's never a, oh we we did it we we solved it yeah solved Christianity we and saw the internet solved, yeah. Um, James says I loved this amazing word, my friend. I felt every single word of this. You got a lot of positive feedback. Um, Kim also gave some positive feedback and said, you are so awesome. Thank you for preaching the word. <laughs> Lulu and I have been so blessed by your word today. Thank you. Yeah. Um, did you read, did you get Rocky? Rocky I have Glenn. See, I have, my phone isn't, isn't bringing his up anymore. I, oh, okay. I marked down to read I'll, his. I'll read his real quick. Yeah, you read his. I can't see more because he wrote a long one and for some reason... Yeah, I don't know. Phone will never let me see more, so I'll just read what I what he did write. And he said, "Isn't it truly the reason so many freaking denominations? We all want to insist everyone about following what we believe. I don't know how much more there was to that, but that's all I can see." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." I I mean, I would simplify it, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons we have denominations is because we couldn't agree. So he's like, "I'm gonna just start my own group." All right, we're gonna open up the crowd here. And uh, for comments, who's oh. this, is this short-haired Republican man here? <laughs> yeah, uh, the one thing that popped out to me was that um, Paul was getting spied on or infiltrated by false believers. Uh, but the it, I liked how he said that they were trying to spy on the freedom that they have in Christ. Yeah. And... Um, I guess that kind of ties into when you were talking about in groups and out groups and not wanting to set that boundary. It sounds like Paul's setting the boundary at who is about freedom mm-hmm. and who isn't about freedom because he he calls them false believers and yeah. infiltrators, but they're they're not about freedom. And I think that that might be a good uh, way to set the boundary of in group and out group is. And and not about if you should love them or not, but right. if they're if they're on the right path or not is like are they about liberty? Are they about freedom? Or are they about like denying people the ability to have freedom? Yeah, and trying to stop that sort of thing. And uh, and I think you can find that in both the progressive movement and in the Republican movement. Um, there are factions of people that are about freedom and liberty and you can do the same thing in uh religious traditions as well and sometimes you gotta separate yourself from the people that aren't about liberty and freedom and that's kind of what's going on with the united methodist church which is the tradition i grew up in is that they're deciding to split split up and be like well some of us like freedom and you guys don't so we're out (laughs) I think is how it's going down. I didn't really read a lot about it. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's tough because, you know, 
I mean, I don't think we should get rid of boundaries in our life. You know, I'm not saying that we just get rid of boundaries and that we let everybody step over everybody. I mean, like, you know, I'm not going to be like, I think it's cool you put kids in cages, you know, or whatever. Like, oh, I don't agree with it, so we can agree to disagree. No, I'm going to stand up and say something. I'm not saying we don't fight for injustice, Um, you know, but I think there's how we fight for injustice is, is, is what's important. You know, yeah. and I think when we when we're fighting for this like an overarc injustice of lots of people suffering, and then when we're dealing with individuals, I think that's truly how we deal with that. You know, um, I just think we've got to make sure. We, uh, and Paul does this. I mean, Paul really speaks firmly to people, harshly to people. You know, and he seems to have his own in and out group. Um, but I feel like it, he does it with the hope that everyone can live in harmony. He's not telling these guys like you don't have to. You know. You know, you don't have to not believe in circumcision. He's like, but once you start telling other people that they have to believe A, B, or C, he's like, you're missing the point. And so that's where he's coming in. And I agree. I mean, I think that's why some of the people don't like my dad and stuff because they think he's saying you have to be this, this, and this in order to be Christian, you know? So they're saying, speaking out against that. You know, I get it. You know, I just have a different sense from where I've come from in my own life and empathy for those type of people. I think it's a good thing, like saying, okay, legalistic people who don't want people to have freedom or don't want people to be able to be themselves, you know, yeah, maybe they're missing the point. But I think there's a better way for us to tell them they're missing the point. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Or a better way to say you're rebuilding the law by not scapegoating them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Paul calls them false believers. Yeah. But maybe it'd be better to not write that down in a letter that's going to be in the most highest selling book in the world but talk to him in person and be like yeah come on paul yeah (laughs) didn't you know galatians was going to be a big jam it's going to be jay's favorite book well two things um i was thinking while you were talking about paul as kind of like the christian equivalent of an aclu attorney yeah where he's fighting for the freedom of the outgroup, and he's fighting to to recognize the rights and the dignity of the outgroup. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is that, um, and you did say this, but I was just going to put it in one sentence. That kind of the opposite of freedom is fear and so you know if if we look at people or look at ourselves and judge them and us as stubbornly clinging to our beliefs that's because we're afraid and somehow we have to find some kind of solace or hope and security in Christ and in our brothers and sisters, yeah, so that we don't let fear determine how we live. That's good, yeah. But I, I thought that was a beautiful talk, um, and very true and poignant and powerful. Oh, thank you. So I mean, thank you for that. It's confusing. It's just a confusing world we live in, huh? Um, it's loud. <laughs> um, 
I I can contribute by saying um, I feel like I you know I have mentioned this before that I grew up in the Christian tradition. I grew up in a Baptist church and went to a Baptist school. And as an adult now, I feel like I am I'm relearning or with fresh new eyes learning the message of Christ in this whole new way. It's like this. Um, it's really it's a wonderful feeling to feel like it's like this new thing I'm discovering for the for the first time actually because um, I I do have these stories from the past but it's just learning it from a new through a new lens um, and this is a um, thanks for talking about Galatians today um, one thing that I think is uh, obviously very powerful I mean this the grace yeah. faith and belief and having those being driving forces and having that be that's it it's not it's not work it's not your it's not what you do it's not law it's these um it's faith and grace and i i i don't know what i don't know what that means really but it, that it's like a path it's like a, a um um something to to follow and to learn about learn from and um that's very powerful and um another thing i wanted to say is one thing that has changed um, with my understanding of Christ now, and this is just something that's come, it's just I know that this is how I understand Christ is different from how I grew up and how much of Christianity sees um, sees the message is in this, in, in chapter 2, Paul says Jesus Christ is the only only way, I think, yeah. right? That, yes, yeah, yeah. and that's not my understanding and I don't see that he is he is the only way, and I. But, but what I want to say about that is that the, the the message of Christ is so powerful, and I don't think that my understanding that he's not the that that is not the only path diminishes the power of that of of the message at all. That's how um, I I um, I don't see I don't see that as diminishing the message at all. It, um, but I do know that to me it feels like. That is, that's almost like a that's like a law or a rule that you would just follow this that 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 you ha- that you just follow this one path and everybody else has to. It seems like it's a um, it's it's uh, it becomes violent then. Um, so that's that's what I have to add. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I found the rest of those. Uh, oh yeah, Facebook comments. If you want to hear those real quick here. Um, Mary says, don't we have to step out of our comfort zone to truly love like God's love? I mean, since I don't know what God is anymore, I'm not sure, but, um, maybe, maybe maybe like unconditional love might be a way to put that. No, I mean, yeah, we have to, I think we have to step out of our comfort zone to love anybody. I think in friendship, in our children, in romantic relationships, I think it's always kind of, you know, and that's the cool thing about love is sometimes when you love somebody, you you see past their faults or you accept those faults or you see those as who they are and you learn to embrace those things too, you know, and love is such a strange thing on so many different levels. We actually probably need a few more words for love, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what Paul's doing. I think Paul's just trying to say like, you know, Look, we've gotten some really somewhere really cool, where everybody's included, including Gentiles. Let's not let's not miss this, and let's not force the Gentiles to jump through these hoops anymore. 
you know. So the point is, is I don't know. How much of it is personal responsibility, too, is where we just watch our side of the road and we love other people, you know. And uh, I don't know. I've got too many things going on in my life right now to Hmm. give the best, clearest opinion on this sermon. And then I'll read one more here um, from our friend Ray. uh, Said, oh, I just lost it again. But the gist of it was... um, uh, ever since leaving evangelicalism, I never thought that I would appreciate a sermon about Paul as much as I did this one. Aww. Something that he said. So well, that's really cool. Lots and lots of. Somebody asked one of the books I recommended, and it was "Shaking the Foundations" by Paul Tillich. Oh yeah. So there you go. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then there, someone who mentioned that they are as a person of color. Um, man, I wish I could read more. I can't read more, and it drives me insane. Um, it just says in. Inclusivity is some people's goal. I guess as a person of color, I relate to Malcolm X with the concepts that I want to help those, and then it just ends. I love Malcolm X. His book is one of my favorites, and the film they made about Malcolm X is one of my probably, if not my very favorite film in my least top five. Um, No, I think Malcolm X got it right. I mean, I think at the end there he really got it right and he was his cost him his life you know so i think malcolm x is definitely someone to put into those roles of people who was making impacting radical change i had had one uh thought real quick and this is something that you and i actually talked about earlier this week a little bit um just incidentally i've had conversations uh recently over the past week with uh, some people who are definitely on different sides of, you know, the, the social, political, um, you know, kind of a, a dichotomy, I guess. This, like, created this manufactured A or B, you know, kind of dichotomy that we find ourselves in. And um, I came to realize something the way that, the way that I, I, I wrote this note down after thinking about it is that it's not really about... Um, and maybe I even sent this to you, Jay. But it, it's not really about the division. He did send that to me. Yeah, yeah. It's not about the division that's created and reinforced by these labels, by these manufactured labels like evangelical or progressive or con- conservative or liberal. It's really just, I think it's really more about, first, what makes sense to a person based on their own experience and their interactions like we've talked about before, the things that can change a person's perspective and even their convictions more than anything else or how they see other groups of people or how they see the other is having those intimate reaction or interactions with those people and meeting those people and getting to know those people and, and seeing that they're not stereotypes and finding common grounds and things like that. And, and thinking that can then, those experiences can then lead to new shifting theologies and worldviews. Also, um, I think the, the other thing that it kind of boils down to when you're talking about people with differing perspectives is what the actual kind of end game or the ultimate goal that they have in mind is uh, like the, the thing to them that is of most importance. Once you get beyond the rhetoric, once you get beyond the prefabricated answers that is being fed to you by side A or B. Yeah. 
the things that are motivating you and the things that logically make sense to you if you're willing to drop the labels or to maybe even start to distance yourself from the labels then i think that one there's a lot more common ground there and two you learn more about yourself and about what's important to you and about um about what you want to invest your energy in as far as interacting with other people and and with just uh, improving yourself, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah, don't forget the poor. I mean, that was great that that was the one thing that James and Peter and John and Paul could all remember is like, hey, we could do this together. You know, I was kind of really hoping that that would be like, the thing that brought Republicans and Democrats together <laughs> would be the kids in cages. I thought, this is going to do it. And it didn't. Oh, well. I'm sorry. Did you say that you talked to some people about possibly um, prov- helping to provide some? I did. And whatever happened with that? I just They said it was too overwhelming to do and that there was too many people. I mean, it was, yeah. There's justifications of why they couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't do it because I didn't have enough money, and they couldn't do it because logistics, logistics, or the fact that they just didn't want to do didn't, it. Didn't didn't feel that they really wanted to do it. Um. Yeah, I could talk about that stuff for too long. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm in the work book I'm working on. I'm going to talk about some of that stuff because I think it's interesting how we choose to also not see the faults of our own sides. And I see that on both sides as well. And I think that's something important to look at in the future. But, um, hey, thank you guys for a great service. We've got a meeting to talk more about the church and hopefully some exciting brand new things coming your way. So me and Caleb have a meeting to go to to talk about the church and figure out how to make it better. So I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us on Facebook Live. And we're going to try to continue to do this and make it better. Also, um, oh, I forgot. Yeah, if Revolution is a non-denominational church, a uh, 501c3 nonprofit, if you'd like to donate to the church, this is people love this part. This will be the clip that people show. Um, yeah, you can donate to Revolution by going to revolutionchurch.com and clicking on the donate button. That's how we exist. This is how we do stuff like this. I mean, through your donations, we're able to have a, you know a tripod because someone gave it to us. Um, this video is on my own cell phone so you know we could really use your help and support my kids just poured water on my computer and i don't have a computer now so hey we could use your help um uh so we'd also like to hire caleb because caleb helps make all this stuff happen and he works really hard and he works really hard doing this to make this happen and then he works really hard to make money outside of this and i'd like to see him be able to bring those two loves together so if you want to consider helping Revolution and supporting us financially, please go to revolutionchurch.com and make a donation there. Thank you, everybody, and um, lots of love and grace. Bye. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the Donate section on the website. If you enjoyed this show, you might also like Loosen the Bible Belt with Kristen Becker and myself, Jay Baker. RuPaul had me out to a show when I was out in L.A. and I got to meet a lot of different drag queens. And it's amazing how much my mother has been an inspiration to a lot of drag queens.
you know, because I think my mom has always portrayed kind of an over the top feminine thing too. you know, in a way my mom was a woman in drag, you know, trying to be even more feminine and more women um, that she felt that she had to be to, to get, go against the grain that she was raised. I've always seen kind of this kind of strange crossroads with my, my mother and the whole drag scene. So it's always been something I've always really kind of loved and, and actually been pretty comfortable with, which I think is, was strange for a lot of my hedro friends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, it goes without saying, I adore your mother. Oh, thank you. Ad- and to this day, of course. And, uh, my, you're, you know, if you can imagine the brunette, brunette version that would be my mother. <laughs> so, you know, essentially, uh, you know, lots of extra makeup and hair and clothes and shoulder pads. And, you know, in the 80s, she she wore those dynasty power suits. Yep. And, uh, as a matter of fact, for my wedding, she had three costume changes and told me I look much better than the bride. Just saying. <laughs> that was a post-Christian podcast. <laughs>